Welcome to the Journey Women podcast. Life's a journey we were never meant to walk alone. We all need friends along the way. On the Journey Women podcast, we'll chat with mentors about gracefully navigating the seasons and challenges we face on our journeys to glorify God. If you tuned in last week, you know that we're talking about what it means to be a journey woman. And today, we're going to throw it back to a conversation that I shared years ago with Christine Gordon about how a journey woman seeks to know and love God more. As we revisit this episode, you're going to hear some fresh insights from Lauren, one of the members of the Journey Women team, and we just hope that you'll walk away encouraged to know and love God more through His Word, and that you'll press into your local body of believers to encourage and be encouraged by your brothers and sisters who are striving to that end. Before we dive in, you know that we want to tell you about our sponsors who help make this episode possible, Dwell, Kaleidoscope, and Prep Dish. And we want to say a big thank you to all of you who have donated to Journey Women Ministries. We are so grateful for your help as we seek to encourage women to know and love God more. You know, we are all about God's Word here at Journey Women, and that is why we love telling you about the Dwell Bible app. Their mission is inspired by the psalmist who encourages us in Psalm 119 to hide the Word of God in our hearts. Dwell has made it easier than ever to listen to scripture on the go, especially with their introduction of Dwell for Apple CarPlay. Simply open Dwell from the CarPlay dashboard to quickly access Dwell Daily, as well as your up next content, favorite passages, and custom playlists. We love the unique features of the Dwell app that really help us get in the word and stay in the word. Go to dwellbible.com slash journeywomen to get 10% off a yearly subscription or 30% off Dwell for life. That's dwellbible.com slash journeywomen to commit to scripture for the rest of this year or for life. Tell me, Chris, when we're talking about who God is, knowing and loving him more, how much of God can we actually know and how do we get to know him? I've thought a lot about this question, and I don't mean this to sound snarky at all. Let me just put that out there. Give it to me straight. I think we can know enough. And here's why I say that. I want us to have a paradigm for this whole conversation. I think, you know, there are several paradigms that are used in the Bible for how we know God. There's a wife and her husband. There's child and parent. I think that's probably the most helpful. There's shepherd with sheep. I want to use the child with parent. And if you think about Let's talk about Hadley, for example, and how she knows Brooks, your husband. She can know a lot about him because of her interactions with him. And first of all, we got to talk about knowing. When we talk about knowing God, we talk about it in a relational sense. We don't talk about him like the periodic table or like tax law because he's a person. This paradigm of God as our father, just like we could say Hadley knows Brooks, she knows a lot about Brooks, Uh but Hadley's a child and Brooks is an adult who has multi-layered responsibilities and lots of different relationships with people in the world. She can understand a lot, but she's never at her level. She is never going to understand the complexities of Brooks' life. But that's okay because what she can understand is that when daddy comes to hold my hand, I can trust him. When daddy loves me, he does it well. When daddy hugs me, he doesn't hurt me. Daddy gives me the food that I need. He comforts me when I'm sad. She can know enough to know that she can trust him, though she does not understand 
Brooks in his fullness. And I think that is the paradigm that we can use. We can know enough about God. We are finite. He is not. And unlike where Hadley's going to grow up mm-hmm. and eventually get to a place where she can understand the complexities of Brooks because she'll be more like Brooks. We will always be finite. We are never going to turn into God, though there is going to be redemption. And so in that way, we will never know the fullness of God. And that is not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he has revealed himself in so many ways in his kindness, his compassion, his justice, and his mercy, we can know enough. That's what we can know. Mm. What are the primary ways that God actually gives us to know him? Yeah, here's what's crazy is a, a question we could add to that is, does he want to be known? Here is the crazy thing about an everlasting, infinite God who does not need us is the fact that he wants to be known. And the ways that he makes himself known are so complex. So that I I was thinking in terms of, this is going to sound a little funny, but if I said to you, Hunter, I really have a hankering for fried chicken and I feel like I want something that is finger licking good. (laughs) Where would you tell me to go? Oh, you know what? I don't even have a framework for that up here in New England. All right. I was going to say, it's maybe not happening, but the places I've lived, if you want chicken that's finger looking good, you go to Kentucky Fried Chicken because that is their, that's their ad campaign. You know, it's been around since I was a kid. I don't think there's a KFC up here. I really don't. Oh, that is, <laughs> a minute. let me just say that's sad, but because I love some fried chicken, but if, if the only reason I know that is because Kentucky Fried Chicken for years has had this massive ad campaign. It's on billboards, it's on commercials, it's on the backs of boxes. I mean, it's everywhere so that I know it. It's as if God has launched this massive PR campaign to show us who he is because he wants to be known. He does it in the skies above. He does it in the stars. He does it in his word. He does it in Jesus. And this speaks to your question, how do we know him? He's everywhere. Mm-hmm. And theologians will talk specifically about two categories, general revelation and special revelation. Mm-hmm. General being nature. You know, this is Psalm 19, the stars proclaim his name. You can't miss it from any language. Also our consciences, we think about Romans 1, men have known him, they can't help but know him from the beginning. It's this broad category, you know, the rain fell, falls on the just and the unjust. There is a way in which all men are accountable because he has made himself known through the stars, through nature, through all these things. And then there's special revelation, his word and the incarnation. So those are the two, if we're talking about big theological categories and how are we going to know him, how does he make himself known? Those are the big ones, those two. So when you're saying the word, can you be a little bit more specific about what his word is? And when you say the incarnation, what are you referencing there? So the word being scriptures, the holy scriptures that are inspired and incarnation being Jesus coming Mm -hmm. as a human. So like John 1 says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. He was with God in the beginning through him, all things were made. And then we go down to verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Yeah. So the word has always existed. Here's the word. We get it, you know, through, that's a whole nother episode, which you've already done. How did the word come to be? (laughs) And then we get this picture of the word walking among us or tabernacling among us. 
that he came and walked among us as a human so that we read it, we study it, we sing it, and then we watch this man as he walks around God in the flesh. Those are the two most clear ways that we're going to see him. God wants to be known by us, and he has given us tangible means to do that. Guys, that is such a gift. Chris mentioned special revelation, or how God specifically reveals himself through his word and through the person of Jesus. At Journey Woman, we talk about the word of God a lot. And in this series where we're talking about what is a journey woman, we can say that a journey woman is one who prioritizes the word of God in order to know the person of God more. But if we're honest, it can be really hard to prioritize God's word. I found that the biggest hindrance to me spending time in the word is the narratives I tell myself, which we can combat with what we know is true. So when you feel like you aren't getting anything useful out of your study of the word, remember the truth that God's word was not primarily written to answer your questions or fix your problems. It was written to reveal God's character to you. When you don't feel like reading your Bible is changing you, you can trust that the word of God is living and active. When you don't feel the desire to spend time in the word, stop and take a moment to remind yourself that these are the very words of God. When you're discouraged or you don't want to read the Bible, or you feel like your time in the Word has become stale or fruitless, read it anyway. Keep digging in and immersing yourself in it. It is still so worth it to regularly invest time in meeting God in His Word. I'll be the first to confess that I forget these truths often. Sometimes making time to read the Word is really difficult, but what really helps me is to remember why I read God's Word. Guys, the Word of God is the revelation of God Himself to His people. The Bible is the very words of God, and it is the most tangible, intimate way of knowing Him on this side of heaven. We read the Word because we believe in the Word made flesh, Jesus, and because in God's Word we can see more of Jesus' character, life, and story. We read the Word because remembering how Christ has rescued and redeemed us from our sins restores to us the joy of our salvation. We read the Word because little by little, day by day, year by year, it changes us to make us look more like Jesus. I think of Simon Peter who, when everyone was walking away from Jesus and Jesus asked him if he was going to leave too, replied, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Friends, the Bible is the very word of God, and this word is life. Okay, now let's listen in to Chris share about why it's so important to know God accurately. Why is that important? What are the results of having a skewed or inaccurate view of God? Here's where we come to sometimes come get into this conversation with well-meaning Christians who will say, I can't tell you how many times I've had this conversation. They'll say to me when we start talking about theology in any way, don't give me doctrine, mm. just give me Jesus. Yeah. And I get where they're coming from. I get the heart behind it, which is don't get me into controversial conversations where people mm-hmm. are infighting within the church. Just give me the lover of my soul. Just give me the shepherd of the sheep. I hear where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. The problem is anytime you try to talk about who Jesus is, who God is with any kind of substance, what you're doing is theology. Yeah. You're seeing to your kids, Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so. You're doing theology. So another way you could ask your question, what happens when we have a skewed view of God? Another thing we could say is what happens when you have bad theology? That's what you're asking. And the answer is bad theology hurts people. It always hurts people because 
how we know God and what we think of him trickles down to every other part of our life. It trickles down to what do we think of ourselves? What do we think of our relationship with him, his relationship to us, his relationship to the world, our relationship to the world, everything, everything is affected by what we think of him. And so if we have bad theology, it's going to hurt us eventually. And it could be on lots of different levels. So here's an example, just a general example. And we could talk about this all day. Let's, let's say your theology tells you that the only vocations that matter and are recognized and legitimate before God are ministry oriented right. or helping oriented. Okay. And let's say you're a person who loves God and you want to serve him. So if this is true, then suddenly your options are limited to about maybe seven careers, right? You can be a missionary, doctor, pastor, counselor. That's it. But what if you're really gifted at something else? What if, let's say you're an artist and you're gifted at making beautiful things and showing other people beautiful things. So you have been uniquely made this way, but you think the only way you can give him glory or please him is if you're on a foreign mission field. Okay, so you're gonna end up either number one, not using your gifts and resenting that you have to spend the majority of your life doing this thing that you're not made to do, or you're going to end up number two, becoming an artist, but you're weighed down by this guilt and shame because you're not doing one of the legitimate kingdom jobs. Bad theology hurts people. I could give you a thousand other examples, but it's always going to do damage. Well, you know, I'm not an artist, but why do you have to get so personal with that? <laughs> We hope that you are finding this conversation with Christine Gordon as encouraging as we did. And because of that, we want to tell you about another sponsor who helped make this episode possible, PrepDish. PrepDish is the best way for busy people to get healthy meals on the table without the stress. Subscribers receive an email every week with an organized grocery list and instructions for prepping meals ahead of time. This means that dinner time is quick and easy every day. Plus, the meal plans are seasonal, so this time of year includes plenty of hearty stews and easy crockpot meals. And if you think you don't have time to meal prep, you have to try the Prep Dish Super Fast Meal Plans, where you can prep five healthy dinners in just one hour. That means one hour of meal prep will set you up for success for the rest of the week. If you want to serve healthy homemade meals without the stress, the founder, Allison, is offering listeners a free two-week trial check out prepdish.com slash journey for this amazing deal. Again, that's prepdish.com slash journey for your first two weeks, totally free. I am seeing how bad theology or how an inaccurate picture of who God is, is impacting my family. We're facing this major transition, moving to a place that I just wasn't expecting. I have been spewing so much anger and resentment and bitterness. Many of those emotions have just landed on Brooks. And it's not only hurting me, <laughs> not remembering who God is and the way in which he has provided for me time and time again. When we've moved to places that we didn't think seemed on paper, you know, like a desirable place to be. And yet he continued to show himself faithful and has continued to do that time and time again through our many, many moves. And mm -hmm. I am failing to remember that. So I see that in my own life. And I guess I just want to orient this conversation from a humble position. Like, 
we're always learning, right, Chris? Like, do yes. you still see this in your life? Like, you know so much. You know how to speak Hebrew. Like, and yet, do you still do you still see this fleshing out in your life? Oh my goodness, of course. Of course. I mean, that's the life of a believer, right? That's what happens, especially that's what happens when we're in the word is that you never read it twice the same. He's good to us. So he attends it by his Holy Spirit. He teaches us things. There used to be this song that we sang in this church we used to go to called There's a Wideness in God's Mercy. Mm. I love to think about his mercy is so broad. It is not. Now the way is narrow, right? But his mercy is wide for his children. In all these places where we get tripped up Mm. and we don't see his mercy is broad and wide. That's what he'll do. He's kind to us in that way. Amen. Amen. You see that like all over the text, which is why it's so important to be regularly in the Bible, because it just helps refresh our memories uh, of who he is, not just to us throughout our life, but throughout all of redemptive history. Yes. Obviously, we all want to understand God. We want to know him more. Like I just left, you know, the other room feeling like, man, I just I feel so much like I just, Lord, Lord, I want to know you. I want to love you more because I want to love others around me. And I just want to experience the joy of knowing you. Can we ever fully understand who God is? Like, do we ever like arrive? Yeah, I would say, I think the answer is no. But again, see, in our human, in our humanity, we want to fully grasp everything. And part of that is because we want control. And we will never control him. And that also means that we may never fully understand him because even in the new heavens and the new earth, we are not going to be infinite. And he is. This is all over the Bible, right? The place where I think it's the clearest is in Job. You know, he's been through this whole ordeal. He's lost everything, his children, you know, he's sitting scratching himself in the dirt with shards of pottery. And he's asking God, asking God, you know, where, what's going on? What's going on? And if you notice, God never, he doesn't answer him. He doesn't give him the why. He doesn't answer his direct questions. And what he says is, it's almost, you know, the first time you read it, you're like, wait, what? This is not, this is not what you expected God to say. And he answers him in the whirlwind. Who is this who obscures my counsel by words without knowledge? Yeah. Now brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall inform where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And then he just goes on and on, on and on. And you think it's kind of one of those things that takes your breath away and you kind of take a step back and go, oh, wait. Because what we expect is this sort of they're there, it's okay. Yeah. What we get is this picture of God that is this huge, broad, yeah. uncontainable. I'm not going to give you the answers. I have them, but I'm God and I don't answer to you. And then we find it again in Isaiah that, you know, Isaiah 40, there's this whole, there's this section where he says, who has directed the spirit of the Lord or informed him as his counselor? Whom did he consult to? You know, it's all this sort of tongue in cheek, almost sarcastic. Like you really think, you really think you're going to tell me what to do. You have no idea who you're talking to. And then so in that way, we kind of take a step back and go, oh, and it can feel intimidating. But this is where we got to come back to Hadley and Brooks. Mm. Is that just like the little girl looks up at her dad and she knows mm. enough to know he's trustworthy. We don't have to fully understand him to fully trust him. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. what we're going for. Jesus came and lived and died as a human. And the reality is he fully knows us. And that is way more what we need than for us to fully understand him. 
I come back to the answer. We know enough. We know enough. We know what we need to know to trust him. Where else can we go? Like, right. you know, like, all right, where else can we go but here? Oof, guys, this truth was humbling and convicting, at least for me. We don't have to fully understand God to trust him. But this is so hard, isn't it? I feel that often I butt up against this truth in the midst of difficult circumstances. Like when God says no to my prayer for a good thing, or when he chooses to walk me through a season of suffering. When this happens, and as we realize we don't understand what's going on, and that we don't understand God in it, we can be really quick to turn to frustration and doubt. We ask, how could God do this? We question God. Listening to Chris in this episode, I'm convicted of how often I struggle to believe God is who he says he is, how quick I am to ask questions of him when he does something hard in my life. And while, yes, the Lord is patient with us and gracious with our doubts, at the same time, who are we to question him? He is holy. He is God. Just like in the story of Job, which Chris pointed us to, we can be quick to lose sight of God's holiness, his otherness, his set-apartness. We, too, need to be reminded that God is God and we are not. We need to be humbled like Job was. We need to be brought to our faces in awe like everyone in Scripture who caught a glimpse of God's glory. We need to remember that God being God is enough of a reason to be able to trust Him, even when things are hard. In seasons of difficulty, God's grace can handle our doubts and questions and wrestling prayers. But at the end of the day, as believers, we are also freed to let go of our disbelief and fall on our faces in faith before a God who is holy and who is God. We know enough about Him to be able to trust that everything He does is good and right and just. Even in what we perceive as his slowness to answer our prayers, even in his no's and his not yet's, even when the path of suffering he chooses for us, we can know enough about his character to know that he can be trusted. If a journeywoman is one who seeks to know God more, let's seek to know him here too, in the difficult places. Let's always be seeking to grow in our capacity to trust him, know him, and love him. Okay, now let's tune back in to learn how we can continue to develop a good theology as we seek to know God more. So as we go to him and desire to know and love him more, how can we develop a good theology and learn more about God? Yeah, of course, we're going to talk about those two categories, right? So we talked about general and special revelation. And this is where I think a lot of times we kind of say, oh, yeah, there's general revelation. You could look at the sky. Isn't it beautiful? And then we just speed on to special revelation because we know that scripture is so important. And I think that's a mistake because we need to pause and meditate just like we would on scripture, though we're going to hold that at a different level. We can meditate on all these examples. And I say that because Jesus tells us to do it. He says, you know, there are all these places in the gospels where he uses these examples from nature. He's the one who says, consider the lilies. And he doesn't just mean, hey, look, here's a, a visual aid. He says, consider, slow down, take some time, think about this with me. He talks about the four soils. He talks about the farmer and his seed. And I think what we need to do is slow down that. So here's, here's some practical ways to do this. I have a Michael, my husband gave me this, uh, I think it was for Christmas or birthday. I don't know what it was. He gave me this 
bird feeder that is made of this clear plastic and it has like these little sucky mm-hmm. on stick on things. And <laughs> in my office, I have this big window, which I'm so thankful for. And my desk is right by the window. And it is literally, I stuck this thing on the window three feet from my head. And if I sit really still, if I'm sitting reading or typing or whatever, birds will land like three feet away from me. It's so helpful to me to look up and just look at them and think, yeah, I gave you this seed, but God has kept you alive till today. His eye is on the sparrow. And I think those places of meditating on these things shouldn't be rushed through. It makes So I was a chemistry major for a while in college because I love chemistry. And I love this verse. And so there's this passage in Colossians that I think at some point we had to translate Colossians in seminary. And there's this part that talks about 116, for in him, all things were created, Mm. things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And in him, all things hold together. This is what I'm talking about. Like, Break it down, things in your life. How do we meditate on these things? Because I was a chemistry major, I used to think, especially when I was first a Christian, ionic and covalent bonds, okay? These are like what hold the world together and therefore the molecules, the weather patterns, the life cycle of the naked mole rat. I mean, you can, (laughs) all these things that go on it. I just read recently that a new study puts the number of bird species in the world at 18,000. 18,000 kinds of birds. What does this tell us about God? Things like, you know, Planet Earth, that whole series that came out, which I make my children watch and like, oh my gosh, we've seen it before. And then now there's all these new series. I mean, the phosphorescence that happens, the bioluminescence at the bottom of the ocean. What do these things tell us about God? I mean, they tell us a lot. He's creative. He's funny. Have you seen an ostrich run? Oh my goodness. It's hilarious. (laughs) I think slowing down, we can't just rush through general revelation. And this is one of the easiest places to help your children see the wonder of God mm-hmm. is in the sky, in the animals, in the trees, in the different, I mean, it's everywhere. So don't rush through general revelation, but yes, special revelation. How do we know? We read it, we study it, we read it with other people. And the thing that is crazy about special revelation is, the Holy Spirit who lives in you, if you're a believer, mm-hmm. he is going to work in you as you read it. He initiates, he attends his word, he illuminates scripture. So we ask him and we welcome him and we say, we're listening. We say, we want to hear you attend your word and he's going to talk to us. That's how we know him. It's as if, I'm trying to think who was it who used this example that there are like thousands of images and radio signals in the air going by us all the time. Right. Mm, mm -hmm. And the Holy spirit is the one who gives us this antenna Hmm. so that we can receive and we can understand when we read the word he illumines, he's like this antenna that God has given us so that we can understand. And the other thing I would say, I would add is we get to know his people. This is one of the ways that we can know God. And, you know, we're such this individualistic Western culture, but God is a person and his children, as they grow, are more and more like him. So one way we know him is by getting to know his children. Like, for example, there's this woman in our church. Her name is Phyllis. I love her. She's raised her children. They're all grown. 
And I tell her all the time, I want to be like you when I grow up. We have a homeless shelter for women in the basement of our church. She works there. She has taken my 13-year-old daughter with her to work there. She's taken my 10-year-old special needs son with her just to enjoy him a couple hours at a time. And as I watch her, I learn about God, that he cares for people who are vulnerable. He cares for people who are not, you know, exciting and like lauded by the rest of the world. This is so... Those are the categories. And I think that one also gets overlooked. Look at the people of God. Look at them as a family. Look at how they love each other. That is one way we can know him. I think that's so helpful as we seek to know him, because I think my temptation, Chris, is I'll bypass asking the Holy Spirit to help me as I study his word. I'll bypass all these other avenues through which he has given me to grow in my understanding of who he is like nature, because I just think I just need to open up my Bible and gain more knowledge. But the thing that the Lord continues to work into me is that he's like, no, 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 I don't just want your mind. Yes, we're going to learn and we're going to study and we're going to be diligent, but I want your heart. Mm -hmm. And so much of that slowing down piece and that piece of prayer is really leaning into the reality that he is God and I am not. He Mm -hmm. is God and there is no other. Mm -hmm. Like you said, as much as I want to know him and as much as I want to know about him, so I convey a little bit more clearly who he is to those around me, he is after my heart. And that's what's going to keep me from sin. You know, it's not like knowing more, knowing more facts or knowing more verses. And he will disrupt you. That's what's good about him. Well, that's encouraging because I feel I feel very disrupted ah! all the time. <laughs> he will disrupt you in the places where you try to master him and uh, become him. He will keep disrupting you because he's faithful. I mean, it's it's who he yeah. is. He's after you, and he's not going to give up. He's not going to give up. Amen. Amen. You know, J.I. Packer has been such a help to so many of us who have just really thought in these categories. How do we know God? How do we love God? He has this quote that says, one can know a great deal about God without much knowledge of him. I think that's kind of what I've been getting at with what Mm -hmm. I struggle with personally. What do you think he means when he says that? I think sometimes people, especially now I will say, especially those of us who love to study theology and those in the academic world, yeah, we can have this problem where we start to talk about God like the periodic table or like tax code, that he is a bunch of facts or an ideology. And the problem is he's a person and he's not an idea or a force. So, okay. So you say, well, how do, how do I know a lot about a person? You know, you can do the same thing with a person. For example, I know a lot about Frederick Douglass because this is totally random because I am a middle-aged white woman, but he was my childhood hero. And so I did reports on him. There's a, there's an original painting of him hanging in my living room. That was a present. I mean, I've read his first three biographies multiple times, but do I know, I know a lot about Frederick Douglass in his life, but do I know him? Huh? Nope. I've never spoken to him. We're not in a relationship. There is no give and take with me and Frederick Douglass. (laughs) We are not growing in our intimacy, right? And relationships with a person are based on trust and they're based on secrets and their, you know, intimacy grows through the time that you spend. And 
heart knowledge happens through connection and conversation and honesty. And that kind of knowledge is not a bunch of facts. And even a, it's not even a good systematic theology. It's a heart of flesh that's given to us by the Holy Spirit. I think that's what he means. You know, and even Jesus said in the Gospels, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And he will say in one of the most terrifying sentences Jesus has ever, ever said, depart from me. I do not know you. That word know, that tells us, you know, that the word know, that's the yada in the Hebrew, that the biblical knowing that we read about in Genesis between Adam and Eve, that is, that is like married knowing, mm-hmm. which is way different from like periodic table knowing. Yeah. And so, yes, we can know. And my fear is that is what's always been true is that a lot of us do know a lot about God, but we do not know him. We don't trust him. There's no intimacy. There's not a give and take, push, pull, I cry out to you, I wait on you. And that's a big difference. And that's that's a danger, right? As we study him, for sure. That's definitely something that the Lord is just in his kindness working in me. And I'm so grateful for that. But it is really challenging. Mm-hmm. And I can just go on and on. We'll be right back. Okay, friends. Here's the dilemma every parent faces. You want to give your kids helpful discipleship resources, but eventually kids grow too old for storybook Bibles, plus they've read them a million times. However, their reading level hasn't caught up to adult translations, which are written at a high school level. Kaleidoscope steps into that in-between stage, helping kids and parents bridge the gap between storybook Bibles and adult translations. They retell every book of the Bible at an elementary reading level in beautifully designed single-volume chapter books. Kaleidoscope has volumes on everything from Numbers and Exodus to Matthew and Romans, and this month, you can pre-order their highly anticipated volume, Genesis. Check them out at Read Kaleidoscope on Instagram or at readkaleidoscope.com and take 10% off your order with the code JOURNEYWOMEN. Kaleidoscope, the new kid in kids' Bibles. I'd love to hear from you what it is that characterizes people who do know God. Like, what do we see in the life of someone who doesn't just know God, but also who loves God, who has that intimate yada, like you said, knowing of who God is. Yeah, I think they look like him. How would we know that? Because you're like, well, God's invisible. I remember when I was first a Christian, maybe the, I'd probably been a Christian about a year. And I came across the verse that talks about how God is invisible. And I remember going, oh my gosh, wait a minute. He's invisible. It was just like, this mind-blowing moment. And then I was so comforted thinking, oh, wait, but Jesus is not. Okay. So what did Jesus look like? There's this sort of family resemblance that starts to happen. And we think about what did he look like as he walked around this? Okay. He was, he was patient and kind. He didn't keep a record of wrongs. He approached people that everybody else rejected. He went after the outsider. He was quick to forgive. When people acknowledged their sin, he cared about the poor and the the marginalized. One of the big ones, I think, that's a big tell is that his actions matched his words. Yeah. So that Jesus had perfect integrity. Now, none of us have perfect integrity, but I think there is this aspect of a believer who has known the Lord. There is more and more of a matching up of their words and their actions. He trusted his father. He loved his father. And it was 
so obvious. He held the kingdom as the first priority and everything else, you know, came after that. And so I think we take this image and of course we are sinful still, though sin doesn't have the dominion in us anymore. We take that image and we start to see these people who have this family resemblance. And so you see them treat other people with this dignity that maybe the rest of the world doesn't give. They're learning to forgive other people. They have compassion. Um, You know, Jesus, John 13, he says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So you start to see this love that that isn't logical. It's not based on like, oh, we're kind of the same. We like the same things. But you see this love between people who are way different, who care about way different things, but their sort of shared horizon is the same because they're putting all their eggs in the basket of the kingdom. So they're still having to live, we're dual citizens. So they're still having to save for retirement or invest in a good education or, you know, these kind of things. But they probably also give a lot of their money away. Maybe they they tithe, they're giving money to missionaries and there, there should be some, I often say, there should be something in your checkbook or your credit card statement that would tell me you're different from the rest of the world. And a lot of times you see, you know, there's this, it's growing. And it's not always perfect, but there's this growing faithfulness of understanding this is not my home. And I would say, too, they they have this wrestly relationship with the Lord because the Christian life is a fight. And I think that's something that we we don't necessarily like to talk about. But we we wrestle, we plead, we fight our sin, we cry, we rejoice, we abide in him. We love him. It's this growing intimacy. I think it looks like all those things. Of course, they're going to be, you know, they're going to be fits and starts and our growth is cyclical and it's never a straight line. But I think you can see those. It's so much so that, you know, sometimes I meet people that they consist, I see these things and I may not know much of their background, but this happened recently for me with the dry cleaner where I take my husband's clothes. And she just like consistently in our conversation I just kept seeing things and I thought, I think this woman is a believer. And I finally asked her one day, she said, yeah. And she's, English is not her first language, but that's how clearly it showed through in her character. And she said, yes, I am. She told me where they go to church. And so now I check in with her. I pray for her son-in-law who's not a believer. I mean, it's like you see these things and they they become clear because they're characteristics that shine through, you know? I completely agree. I think living here in this really postmodern context where there aren't as many believers, we just stand out like little beacons of light. It's amazing. I've had really interesting interactions with people, even just having a sense that they were a Christian, just looking at their face. Yeah. Boldly asking and then being like, yes. It's Uh, so incredible and so encouraging to see the way that he does work in us as much work as we need, if that makes sense. Yes. <laughs> you know, and as, as you were talking, this is an impromptu question and I'm putting you on the spot here and I told you I wouldn't do this, but <laughs> one of the things that I have seen in Christian culture as of late, and maybe you have a much better framework for Christianity and the history of the church. So maybe you can put this in context for us, but when you talk about the Christian life being a fight and a battle, mm-hmm. I think one thing my generation is really missing, and I have such a propensity for this too, is the reality that we are in battle together. So as much as I want my own 
personal sanctification. I ought to want that for you. Mm-hmm. So can you speak to that? Like, how does our desire to know and love God also impact the way that we do battle, to use the language that you pulled together? And how much should we want for one another to know and love God? And how should that influence the way that we speak to each other, particularly when we see, hey, you know, sister, you might have a blind spot here in this area in regard to knowing and loving God. What I see Christians doing a lot, especially online, is saying, you're canceled, you're out, you know, Mm -hmm. versus, hey, let me come alongside you and show you what I know to be true of God from his word. Or, you know, let me come alongside you and do battle with you to fight sin with you, you know, like, can you speak to that? Yes. This happened to me when I lived in Africa. You meet somebody from a different culture, maybe you don't even speak the same language and you can't even share a conversation. But if that woman is a believer, you have more in common with her mm-hmm. than you have with a lot of your countrymen who yeah. live in the same state with you. And it's because you have a shared horizon because your infinite future is going to be with her. And so I think we got to start there. Like We stake so much of our lives and our claims and our energy and all these things we invest in the here and now, forgetting that we are dual citizens. That's what Paul tells us. We're dual citizens. So what that means is I am going to live with that woman and with you and the person Mm -hmm. who I am fighting with because they think differently politically than I do, or they have different theological agree, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. we are going to be side by side in the kingdom. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean now? It means that they are on my team. Mm-hmm. It means that if she flourishes, I flourish because the kingdom is not a zero sum game. It is wide and broad. And there's, you know, you think about the, you think about the pictures and revelation of all, the people from all the nations bringing in their bounty. And I, I love to think about like, there's going to be handwoven blankets from Guatemala and there's going to be really good food from Ethiopia. And there's, I mean, you could just pick all these things from all the world in, in their glory that is your destiny is to walk into the city of God with the glory of all the nations and all their complexities and all their different skin tones. That's your future. So if you think about like, how do we get, you know, you as a leader, if you set your goal out there and you got to work backwards and think, okay, how do we get there? Part of getting there is to work as a team now and know that whatever you have that divides you it is always secondary to the fact that that is your sister because you've been adopted by God. So what is it what does it mean now? It mean I mean I've I've actually written an article about this practically like some of the things that you can do. Now not all of us are in person right now so it's it's difficult but even on a smaller level when you stand next to somebody at your church who you know has differing political views or even theological views mm-hmm. i think you look at them while you say the apostles creed mm-hmm. i think you watch their children while you sing the hymns together and you remind your heart this person in this battle which is death and life mm-hmm. is on my team and me getting there has to do with them getting there and God put us in this place together to be on the same team. I, I think that joint horizon has to be where we start. And part of it then, what part of what you can do is you can say to them, you don't have to have this huge confrontation. You don't have to like bring the whole house down. You can just, you can name it and say, hey, I know we have differences here and that's okay. Cause let, let's just remember 
that our biggest commonality is a commonality. And let's start there. I think that's the first way to do it. And then when you're talking about other people knowing in the team, part of why it's a big deal that we talk to each other about these things in terms of not doing it on an individual basis. I'm just going to use one of my friends as an example. She has two adopted children who both have very hard issues that I can't really go into, but let me just say they're super complicated. And to watch her and to watch her husband to come back over and over to God and to plead with him and to, you know, ask and beg and pray. Part of what that does is it pushes me on because I go, you know what? That looks awful and really hard, but they're still here and they still believe. And so that means when I have trouble with my adopted, very difficult child, I go, I'm not alone. He's worth trusting. He's walked them through all kinds of stuff that I may have to go through. And look, they're still here. He's mm-hmm. kept them going. And we we need that, right? Yeah. Because yeah, totally. you are going to get to a place in your life if you haven't already that you want to throw your hands up and go, I can't do this. Yeah, yeah, that happens to everybody. Everybody walks through the desert eventually. And that's when you look at your sisters and go, you know, pray for me, pray mm-hmm. for my faith. I see that you still have it. Mm-hmm. To that end, was there ever a time in your life where you didn't feel like seeking to know and love God? And just can you share a little bit about what it was like for you in that season, maybe just as an encouragement to someone who feels like they're there even now? Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think it's inaccurate to say that everybody will get there eventually. You know, you think about the deserts of the people in the Bible that we read about. Now, especially leaders, seems like there's always a desert for the leaders, right? But for the people of God, like it is not unusual to go through a period of doubt or a period of, I just don't feel like the Puritan writers would have said that unction, the unction of the Holy Spirit. I don't have it right now. I don't want to get up and read. I don't want to listen to a sermon. I don't want to listen to a podcast. I don't care right now. I read the Bible and it falls flat. I think the first thing that they need to know is that everybody needs to know is you are not alone. This is normative. Mm -hmm. It happens, right? So don't freak out and think like God has left me. I've done something terrible. Now there are things we can do. There are some diagnostic questions. I mean, part of it is, have you cut yourself off totally from Christian fellowship? Have you stopped doing all the things? If you do that, then yeah, you're probably going to feel like I just don't feel them anymore because those are the means of grace. Hmm. You can ask questions like, is there some sin that I'm just holding on to? And so I just, I'm just not Hmm. going to hear him because I don't want to hear him. We can ask, but I think what we need to hear is that is not always the case. Another thing is when we look at these people in scripture, you know, doubt and fear and all these things are, they are pictured for us in terms of, I mean, Peter is a great example of failure. And it, you can even talk about Thomas, you know, he said, I think doubt and fear and not kind of knowing where we stand or knowing when we don't feel mm-hmm. these things or we don't believe they go together. And he's like, yeah, unless I put my hands in his side and see his hands and feet, I'm not believing that, you mm-hmm. know? Um, the father of the man who came to Jesus, his son, he wanted his son to be healed. And he says, I do believe, help my unbelief. I mean, I could go on. There's all these examples. So I think we need to know, like, this is part of where we are now, that we are going to struggle and there's going to be doubts and that's okay. And I've definitely, I mean, 
I've had multiple times where I've gone through this. And part of it for me in the particularity of how I'm put together is that it will often coincide with depression when I have a hard time just with all the things. Wanting to get out of bed. Yeah, especially hard to get out of bed. And I had this um, one season where I just... I, I think I may have talked about this with you before. I literally printed out Psalm 130 and taped it on my bicycle and rode around my neighborhood over and over. And w- one of the phrases from that is, um, I lo- basically, I long for you more than I look for you. I wait for you more than the watchman waits for the morning. And I just rode around and said it over and over more than the watchman wait f- for the morning. Cause I didn't feel him. I couldn't hear him. It just felt like he had left. You know, mm. and you know, some people will call that the dark night of the soul. Mm. Some people call it the desert, but I think it's more normative than we want to talk about. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that he's left. So I would say, this is where we say to our sisters, hey, and maybe you give them specifics. Mm-hmm. Maybe you say, will you pray for me every day for the next month? Just pray I'd hear the Lord. Mm-hmm. Pray he'd encourage me. Yeah. Pray that I wouldn't walk away because maybe I really want to. And that's not shameful to ask for those things. That is what we do as sisters. Mm. Thank you so much for helping normalize that. Because I do think, especially for leaders, it can be a point of shame or a point of concern Uh for those whom they are leading and for the leaders. So I just, I really appreciate you sharing that with us so vulnerably. You, Chris, have had such a great impact on the way that I know and love God, especially in this season of my life. Who is it that's had the greatest impact on the way that you know and love God? I think last time I said Michael, which is still really true. He, that's my husband. He's really great. I called him the other day. I called him a beautiful tornado because that's kind of what he's like. <laughs> he just came in and wrecked your life in the best of ways. He really did. He goes about 80 miles an hour all the time. Anything he does is a thousand percent or he's out. He's a lot smarter than me. He thinks a lot faster than I do, but he's so gracious to me. I really, over the years, I feel like a lot of who I am and especially how I see myself is because he has been a part of God shifting my paradigm because he is consistently honoring, dignifying. It's just how it is. I'm really grateful. Well, you both challenge me so much, even at a distance. Thank you so much for doing that together with the Journey Women listeners today. It has been a joy to have you on the show. Our hope and prayer is that this episode encourages you to simply seek to know and love God more today than you did yesterday. That is what being a journey woman is all about, day by day, until we find ourselves at the day when we get to be together with Him forever. You've been listening to Journey Women, a not-for-profit ministry with the aim of moving women to know and love God more. If you'd like to support the work that we do, you can do so by visiting journeywoman.org slash give or visit the link in our show notes. It's a joy to get to journey alongside you guys. We can't wait to see you here next Monday. Have a great week.